You're listening to The Dollop. This is a bilingual American history podcast where each week I, Dave Anthony, read a story from American history to my friend. Gareth Reynolds, qui no tiene idea de que va a tratar el tema. Si. That was, that was it. That was our. That's bilingual. now that that should silence the, that should silence the critics forever, because a lot of times people complain that you say it's bilingual and there's no there's only one language. Now it is. We tracks. have a we have a Spanish language version of this podcast. It is bilingual. No, but here's no. the problem with our version of bilingual is that you speak Spanish and I speak English. So it's not that we do a podcast that is bilingual where we're communicating. It's just that neither one of us has any idea what the other one is saying. I wanted, uh, uh, there's a lot to unpack here and I know we're at the intro, so I don't want to get too deep into this, but I definitely think that what I did covers us legally. And I think El Dollop is great and people should go listen to it for sure. But, and you, by the way, you have no idea how many weeks I've had that ready to go and you haven't done bilingual. So, uh, what is it? Is it just your spiel in in Spanish, or did you add some flair? Uh, no, it's my spiel. It's nothing, nothing exciting added for the Spanish speaking <laughs> listeners. <laughs> wow. Okay. All right. Noted. I'll I'll step it up. I'll step it up, asshole. I also didn't realize permission to treat the coast is hostile. Permission granted. I also. Don't think that's how it works. It's exactly how it works. What? What were you going to say? <laughs> I forgot. Oh, my God. And called it, quote, his jam pad. Jam pad? I'm the fucking hippo guy. Dave, okay. My name's Gary. <laughs> my name's Gary. Wait. Is it for fun? And this is not going to become the Tiggly Podcast. Okay. This is like anarchy. On a five-part coefficient. <laughs> Come on, Rose, let's play. Now hit him with the puppy. You both present sick arguments. <laughs> no sleep tell hippo. No sleep tell hippo. Action partner. Hi, Gary. No. Nicely done, my friend. No. No. Rhoda. Rhoda in the court. Oh. Right? You okay, bud? You know. Want to go nine-nine? Yeah, kind of. Dave, want to go nine nine? June twenty second, nineteen oh eight, year of our Lord Jesus Christ. George Hunter White was born in Los Angeles, California. Okay, his father was the city manager of Alhambra, which is okay. Quite a gig. Yeah. George loved body surfing. He's a big water guy. He's into water stuff, sports. Not just sure, stuff. yeah. I didn't think he had gills or anything. So yeah, I, but you never know. You got sure. to spe- specify. Sure. Uh, after graduating from Oregon State College in 1928, George worked for the Red Cross as a first aid instructor and a lifeguard. And this is when they were probably teaching the Heimlich maneuver instead of backpats. Maybe I don't even know. I don't even know if they were teaching that then. I think it, this time you probably just punched a guy in the stomach. It's an amazing time. Yeah. You suck his dick. Is that a thing? I don't know. I'm not registered. Let's give it a shot. 
Yeah, it's the spirit. Uh, but the, the lifeguard, that, that wasn't enough for him. He wanted more. He moves to San Francisco. Uh, he gets a job as a crime reporter for a local paper. Mm-hmm. Saving lives in a different way. Yeah, uh, sure. Yeah, through the power of media. Yes. So after a little bit, he went back to L.A., where he wrote for a couple uh, more papers. But George, he didn't want to report on the action. He wanted to be a part of the action. Well, there's two ways this can go. Well, one night there was a large fire. And when a firefighter leaned the four-story ladder onto the building, George pushed by and climbed up the ladder. Okie dokie. So, right. Okay. So, bold. I'm sure fire... Yeah, I don't know how you handle that. Uh, you're like, what the hell? Wait, hey! It's very... It's not something as a firefighter you're expecting or trained for. Yeah. But the idea that he gets up the lat That you'd be like, sorry, sir. Wait a minute. You're in pajamas. Yeah, it's... So, he get he gets up to the top of the ladder. Four-story ladder. And then he looks down. Yeah. And he's terrified. He freezes in fear. Okay. This is why. See, this is. Does he realize now this is why they go through training? I, th- I think so. So that's the angle. Now firemen have to come up to rescue him before they can get it uh, in there to use, help other people and stop the fire. Dave, my house burned down when I was a teenager. And I'll tell you one thing you can take your time. That's, it's not the sort of thing you need to get on right away. So you have a little time to run a relay like that. Yeah, you got a window. Yeah, exactly. That someone's leaning out of. Now, there's no, there's no, uh, there was no further reporting on this of like how the fire crews responded or if, how upset they were. But I assume they weren't happy. I would assume that. But he's, this still didn't dissuade him from wanting to be a part of the action. The next thing he did was he joined the Border Patrol. Great. Which he hated. Uh, He described it as a, quote, hurting, harassing, and alien-ejecting police force run by short-tempered officers. Uh, What what year are we talking about again? Uh, uh, 1934. Weird. (laughs) Because I... Huh? I, I, let's just time out for a second because I keep having this weird thing on this show mm-hmm. where it's it's like deja vu. I call it Dave vu. Yeah, sure. It's where you say something that is very reminiscent of something that's happening now or a perspective that we, we still can't shake. It's weird. So I call it Dave vu, and I just mm-hmm. wanted to let you know. That's fine, G-Rod. It's pronounced Grod. Some friends said he uh, should apply to the Federal Bureau of Narcotics, known as the FBN, uh, predecessor to the uh, DEA. So narcotics officers did undercover investigations, and George was very good at it. Okay. So he's 5'7", he's 200 pounds, he's bald, and he's intimidating. Okay. He looked and acted like a human bulldog, but he's also very amiable. One person said he could, quote, charm the hide off a rabid dog. Well, I mean, I don't know where we're going, but can we at least say that right now he's climbing the ladder the right way? We can say that. Thank you. Instead of pushing a fire marshal out of the way? Yeah, there's that. So he made some rookie mistakes. In one day, two different drug dealers stole George's money. 
What? So he, he okay. So he reloaded on cash. Yeah, I mean, I, I have had that happen where I, I try to make buy drugs, and then someone's like, "Oh no, I'm just going to take your money," and you're like, "Oh, okay." Well, yeah, I guess when you put it like that, I guess I've had similar situations. <laughs> I, the guys who ripped me off used to always have the decency to like at least put some like actual grass with some pine needles in it so that I could be like, hey, guys, we could still smoke it, but probably not going to feel great. <laughs> so when he found out that he, he found out that $90 would have to come from his own paycheck. Uh, okay. He was not happy. So he went and hunted down. The ninety dollars that wait the ninety dollars is how much he had on him. Yeah, from the two dealers stole altogether ninety dollars from him. So the 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 FBN is cut like so tight that they're like, hey, we know that you had funny money that was a prop money, but you lost your prop money, so that comes out of your bank account. Well, it definitely, like I get it from the perspective of they could just be like, oh, I got robbed again, man. Is that the 10th time this week? Yeah, I just keep getting robbed. Yeah, but if you're like, hey, man, look, I'm trying to you know, do my, my stupid job here, you know. Yeah, and you actually get robbed. Yeah, I'd yeah. be like, you don't cut the, you're nickel and diming, baby. <laughs> I climb ladders when firemen are on it. Do you know who you're fucking with? Yeah, but then you just stand there. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So he finds out it's going to come out of his paycheck, and he then hunts down the second dealer who had robbed him, who was known as Tuffy Jackson. Sure. Well, with a name like that, steer clear of Tuffy. Uh, After a little bit of a fight, a little bit, after a fight, George shot Jackson uh, and killed him. Let me just say that's bad, but let me just say I'm glad for once that I didn't jump on board, have fun with the guy's name, for you to just do the quick turnaround and tell me that he's been murdered. It's sad when you don't take the bait. Yeah, stupid. The FBN threatened to fire George, but then just let him off with a warning instead. Okay. FBI was very racist, and, and Tuffy Jackson was black, so that probably had something to do with it. So at first, George mostly went... Was. Was, yeah, now totally fine. At first, George mostly went after Chinese opium smugglers. Hmm. Okay. Uh, he got into the Hipsing Tong in Seattle. Tongs, which you probably don't remember, but we covered them. Of course them. I do. Um, of course I do. No, I remember the Tong. The Tong Wars. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what happened that. in it? It was like a part of. Uh, it was a, a part of town where it was a lot of opium, and uh, and the, our law enforcement was like uh, racist and horrible and um and did bad shit okay really good now let me say even if i'm wrong that's how you give a probable answer on this podcast okay that's fine that's like where i'm playing odds okay i can tell i'm right Uh, tongs are secretive meeting halls for chinese communities and many were connected to organized crime so george got into the Tong by offering a senior member of the Hipsong Tong money, saying he worked for a West Coast gangster named Uncle Sam who wanted to buy and sell opium. Hey, that's clearly invented on the spot because nobody would approve Uncle Sam as your guy. And y- Yeah, and his wife, Statue of Liberty. <sighs> And yet, it is the most accurate description of America. Right? Yeah, it's too. Yeah, it's too obvious. 
It's Oliver North. Tong members were very distrustful of George at first, uh, but he kept at it. Uh, he gave the members lots of money and anything else they wanted, and eventually he was in. Okay. Senior Tong members gave him recommendation letters, which he used to start deals with other Tongs. And the hip song Tong liked what him. Is he, what, what is he doing? He is. He's just trying to get in to get into the opium trade and bust everybody. I mean, okay, I, so he's going to trade. Right, right. Okay, opium trade. I mean, I knew it was opium, but he's trying to be like a dealer. So he's getting recommendations to like validate his opium biz. Gotcha. Okay, great. And make connections and yeah. Right. Um, so the hip song Tong liked George so much they made him an official member. Uh, to become a member, he promised never to betray the Tong or he would be consumed by fire. Well, I've got, well, 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 Dave, that's, that's worse than we're going to kill you. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Jeez. That's I'm worse. Not That's doing worse that. than firing squad. Yeah. Consumed by fire. Yeah, it's, it's pretty big. Can you imagine having the balls to be like, I promise and be like, oh, my God, these guys are not messing around. I better not get caught. <laughs> yeah. After investigating uh, the hip song tongue for two years, the FBN uh, busted them in 1937. They shut down chapters in Seattle, New York, Chicago, San Francisco, Pittsburgh and Butte, Montana. <laughs> oh, so all the hot spots. <laughs> yeah. The six big ones. Yep. The big six. And obviously... Okay, now we've got uh, well, the biggest hold, forces. Uh, excuse me. Hold that. I don't think there's a lot of time for questions, but in the back, I yes, just, but, yes. Uh, 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 sorry, it sounded like you said Butte. I did. Yeah, we're hitting all the. Obviously, I should have led with Butte because we're talking about big, big, bustling areas. All right, so well, Chicago well, Force. I'm going to want to. I'm Butte. Really quick. Yes. Really quick. Yeah. There's like yeah. 75 people that live there. Yeah, no, we're we're ready. We got to keep an eye. That's why we're sending you there. We got to keep all the metropolitan areas. Butte, Chicago, hands up again. Yes, Sergeant Pepper. What? I I I feel like when you call it a metropolitan area, that you don't yes. know what it is. Butte has everything that any town would like. Butte is full of people. The name is Butte. It's short for beautiful. Put your goddamn what? I have a follow up. What? It, was the Tong just like one guy that lived there? What we have are what we call Tong seeds. We have pockets of possible Tongs. Right, look, I don't have time to explain to you why Butte is so. Look, listen, if you, you son of a, you are off. You understand that you don't even have the honor to go to Butte. You are not going to Butte. Do you understand me? You stay out of Butte. They don't need people like you there who naysay that they have everything. They have a barbershop, a bowling alley, and the list goes on and on. And the list goes on and on. Why is your hand still what? There's no, there's no way they have a bowling alley. All right. They don't have a bowling alley. That's okay. fine. But they have a barbershop. They have a barbershop. And you know what else they have? A what? bait shop. They have a bait shop. And they have a hardware store. Yes. None of these things describe a city. What, what? Metropolitan area? They have, so, you know, I'm not, I mean, I'm hot right now. <laughs> what? I am, I'll, go, I'll go to Butte. Oh, let me guess. You think that I'm having an affair with a woman in Butte and this whole 
thing is orchestrated just so that I could go there and have sex with my mistress? The absolute nerve, Sergeant. The nerve. Fine, I'll go to Butte alone and handle it and take all the funds. I'll figure it out. But by the way, when you find out that uh, you're not having any tongue disruption in Butte, uh, don't come kissing my ass, okay? Because it will not be near my mistress. I am a happily married man. Okay, I'm not going to ask any more questions. That got really good. weird. Good. Now, let's let's get moving, guys. Come on. Get moving Why is where? Why looking so... Huh? Get moving where? To the places that were listed earlier. We don't need to go through them all again. What are the, what are the names of them? The cities? Yeah. We got Butte and then five tiny ones. <laughs> let's move, boys. <laughs> Uh, 23 Hipsong members were arrested and also 10 members of the Italian Mafia. The Tong had connected George with Lucky Luciano's gang. Uh-huh. Sure. So this made George a really big star in the FBN. But, okay. then, but then World War II broke, broke out. So CIA does not exist yet, but there was an early version of it in the army called the office of strategic services, the OSS. Good. It's, that's always nice that we, it's nice that we, while we we're always worried about upcoming seasons, what will we also need? It's always good. We always plan. Well, and, and we obviously, we obviously need the CIA cause they stop things like nine uh, 11 and stuff. Right. So obviously nobody knows what you're talking about because that's not never relevant. happened. Yeah. Thank you. So one of the OSS's, projects when the u.s entered world war ii was to find a truth serum to use on prisoners during interrogations sure of course yep they read comic books like everyone else that's right so the head of the fbn recommended george to help with the field testing uh the oss wanted george to help its head chemist stan lowell experiment with all kinds of drugs, from caffeine to peyote. Wow. <laughs> now, <laughs> now you like this gig. Well, let's just, let's, can we not be so hard on them so early, please? Can we give them a chance? Imagine how crazy the caffeine experiments were. Oh, yeah, wild. Yeah. Yeah. Just a guy drinking And then peyote, peyote, where you're just like, you guys are water. So um, <laughs> I need to not. We're actually all water. But also, like, when you think, when I always, when I think about, like, taking hallucinogens in that sort of clinical environment, that's got to suck. Like, any results you get have got to be, like... Well, you're assuming it's a clinical environment. So where are they taking you? The beach? Everywhere. Yeah. The chemist started uh, with THC. This is a great story, Dave. This is a story about <laughs> heroes. <laughs> They derived it from a concentrated form of weed from India that's like hashish. George was Lowell's willing subject. He would take different doses of THC at different venues from hospitals to his vacation cabin. This guy, what did he carve out for himself here? <laughs> what? Hey, man, uh, we need you to help your country. Can you just get high in a bunch of different places? Did you say we'd need you to help your country, man? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, okay. Yeah, I'll help. 
<laughs> so they start with THC. Um, George takes some doses that cause him to black out. Others gave him, quote, considerable euphoria. <laughs> well, that's, the, that's the spectrum. That's it. We've all been there. After a while, George tried it out on gangsters he knew from working undercover. One of George's sources was a major heroin smuggler from Lucky Luciano's gang named August Del Grazio, otherwise known as August Dallas. Okay. So he, he had... Okay. So he's going to start drugging. Unbeknownst to them, he's going to start giving them drugs. That's right. Okay. Wow. I mean, that, that's amazing. When you first start experimenting drugging someone with weed, just like so, uh, what are you thinking? You probably know some stuff, dude. We should totally Hey, man. Chill. If you ever think about numbers, like what hey, listen, is that? To, uh-huh. That's crazy. So, like, why, like why, are they, why would four come opium. after three? A four well, could let's be talk after about nine. This. Let's talk. Let's talk about this for a second. Okay. What, opium. Where's like if you think of opium as kind of like a number, where's all the where? What would be the place where opium is going like that sort of stuff? Okay, I'm I'm sorry, man. I'm still caught up on the numbers. Like, and then and then instead of instead of doing like like a different number, then they're like, what about putting two ones together after the 10? All right. So this is early. This is early. This is an early. I've you, I'm going to come back when you have feel better and give you a different version of this. Okay. All right. All right. Until then I just, you figure out your number stuff. Yeah. I'm leaving. So that's happening. I'm going to watch Ren and Stimpy. If you're going to take that's off. you're telling me that they don't have bowling alleys, but you're going to go watch Ren and Stimpy motherfucker. That's right. That's right. So he's trying it on the gangsters. Now, one afternoon, Augie came to George's house to have a quick meeting. Now he leaves his friend in the car. That's how quick of a meeting it is. Like there's a guy fucking waiting for him. So okay. he comes in and George offers him a cigarette that is laced with THC concentrate. Here we go. Augie smokes it. He gets really fucking high. And then he sat there <laughs> for two hours and told George everything he wanted to know about his heroin smuggling operation. What? What? Yeah. What a gr- with a, Wow. They made a confession strain? <laughs> That's uh, crazy. Uh, what? Augie, Augie admitted to killing informers, and it went so well, George tried it again with a stronger dose, but that time it just made Augie pass out. Why push it? You're like, you have everything. You fucking nailed it. What's the problem? He's going to be more honest. He's going to be more honest. But I love that Augie came back after that, not thinking that something was off. Hey, sure, I'll have another smoke. Why not? (laughs) Uh, After weeks, the research seemed pretty promising, but not perfect. For example, they used it on a German submarine captain twice, and there was nothing to show for it. During the first test, one agent one agent was standing guard during the interrogation, and he accidentally smoked one of the lace cigarettes. Oh, man. Oh, my God. So then he was, like, telling the person who was supposed to smoke it, like, we're actually going to try to get you drugged, so you'll tell us everything. <laughs> oh, shit. I think I shouldn't have smoked that cigarette. Oh, these are laced. Oh, boy. I should get out of here because I'm an informant. Farewell. 
Uh, hours in, the stone guard ranted about how he hated everyone in the CA, even his boss, while his boss was conducting the interrogation. So that wasn't great. <laughs> <laughs> what um, kind of weed are they dealing with? The last test was on July 2nd, 1943, and this time it was a lot of people at once. In a room at the Belmont Hotel in New York, seven OSS agents and six soldiers were drugged. So that was just a party. The Yeah, and yeah, I'm sure, like, they probably, I mean, it would be nice to get some people who are not, like, in law enforcement in this drug room, too, you know, kind of like... <laughs> Yeah, Tip right. the balance a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. I think I got to arrest myself, man. <laughs> I'm under arrest. For what? Possession of narcotics. But, sir, it was given to me by you guys. I don't want to hear it, asshole. Put your, put your hands behind your back. I know my rights, motherfucker. Well, do you? Then you have the right to remain silent. I choose to waive it. <laughs> so... The test went so well that an officer, Lieutenant Colonel Jack Lansdale, got himself a box of the THC truth serum. So um, my wife and I have better sex with the truth serum. I mean, <laughs> is that crazy to say? I'm going to need to take some of this, but also with your odd truth serum. I need to take this box of truth serum back to headquarters. Really? No, I'm going to take it home. I'm stealing it. Nope. ha <laughs> ha. I just want to. I just want to take some of the truth serum and watch Love Boat. Is that a problem? <laughs> you know, I really love like coming home after a hard day, having a little bit of truth serum, watching some cartoons, and eating some chocolate cereal. Just truthing out, man. I just want. I just want. You know, dude. I'm so fucking honest right now, dude. I don't even know what's going on, dude. I have never been this honest before, man. I am like close. I'm trippingly honest. I am like so real right now. Did you get honest? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm way you don't honest. seem s- what, dude? No, I'm totally. On- I'm really honest right now. Like I like really could really... not lie right now, dude. Yeah, really? I am well, so. I'm a cop. Freaking. Oh wait, you're a cop. I'm just, honestly, man. Don't make me arrest myself again. I'm freaking out, man. I got too fucking honest. So the OSS also had George to get, uh, also had George get help from the mob with New York's waterfront. Sure. So Good. George, yeah, right. So a lot George of, Joseph, lot of games going on. George Joseph Lanza, known as Socks. Sure. Sure. Uh, he, he got, him to tell everyone from fishermen to dock workers to watch out for German U-boats or any suspicious activity. And then like fishermen to fishermen. Well, to the whole, watch out for, you never know. U-boats. Okay, sure. So Sox reported to George, everything he heard and ex- in exchange, George kept the NYPD off socks back. So it sure. all worked out. Keep him on his foot. Near the end of the war, the OSS transferred George to Calcutta, India, and there he hunted Japanese spies. Okay. So for years, the Japanese bombed uh, the area, and George helped the British track down scouts who were on the ground gathering intel to make the bombings more effective. So so he's out of the heroin drug game now, and this is just a complete career shift? Yeah, I think because of the war, you know, things are, there's different objectives. 
Sure. So George spent his time in Calcutta trailing British officers in public places. Uh, then one day, an old Chinese man with a staff was walking down a busy street, singing a song to himself. Okay. And George came along and started roughing the guy up. Of course. Makes total sense. And a crowd gathered, and they're completely shocked. The neighborhood knew the old guy as a nice bookkeeper who lived in the town. And then George started ripping off his clothes and his wig, and he revealed a much younger man who was in disguise as an old man. What? He was a spy, and so George pulled his gun and shot him. What? So, wait, what? I mean, if you're in that crowd, what a turnaround. You're like, that old man was nine? (laughs) And now he's dead. Yeah, and now he's dead. He lied to us, and now he's dead. Wow. Gosh, boy, when you started that, I did not think that was going to have a twist. Oh, feeder went off. Feeder. There goes Jose. The British were angry with George for killing an unarmed man on a crowded street, but then they learned the man was a higher-up Japanese spy. And then afterwards, there was a noticeable drop-off in bombings after he killed the guy. Okay. Good Lord. Okay. So, uh, you know, job done. Yeah. Yeah. President Truman disbanded the OSS just days after V-Day, and George was welcomed back into the FBN. Okay. So it goes from the FBN to the CIA, back to the FBN. So, right, so he's, he's making right. a lot of connections. He, he left the Army a lieutenant colonel and would call himself Colonel White, through, well, even though that was not his rank at the FBN. Sure, whatever, though. George goes to Europe to fight the heroin trade there. He spent time in France, Turkey, Italy, uh, and went to Mexico, helping bust drug rings. In Rome, he organized the local mafia and former fascists to beat the communist and socialist parties that were looking to take over the Italian government in 1948. So he's really getting mixed up in the business. Yeah. Then he comes back to to, uh, the U.S., and the FBN promotes him to district supervisor of uh, their San Francisco bureau. Okay. So this is a big step up. This is a big step for George. Uh, Has one downside, less press. So George, while he was doing all the stuff that he had been doing, always made sure the newspapers knew about his successes. Okay. And what he'd been up to. Uh, From infiltrating the hip Sing Tong to his work in Europe, as supervisor, he dealt with administrative duties, and he didn't get the attention that he had getting being out in the field. Right. He didn't, you mean when he was unmasking old men as young people and killing them in the streets? That's right. His job as a district supervisor wasn't as hot in the presses? Turns out, no. Wonder what was the difference? I don't know. I haven't been able to figure it out. Well. In January 1949, Billy Holiday went on a four-week residency at Tenor's Cafe Society in San Francisco. Her career was at its peak, but uh, she also had a very bad reputation. It was two years after she was busted for drug possession, where she and her husband had been in New York when her husband stabbed a man in a jazz club's kitchen, and Billy threw objects at people who were watching, and then they were both arrested for assault with a deadly weapon. For what? Yeah, oh, I, don't, right. I couldn't figure right. it out. I had to look it up because the story doesn't make right. sense. Yeah. In uh, January 22nd, 1949, George and two agents knocked on uh, Holiday's hotel room door. 
And her husband had gotten a call just before they came and knocked on the door. And right after he got a phone call, he gave Billie Holiday an opium pipe and opium. Who's that? Hey, take the drugs. Yeah, I mean, it's just so transparent. Uh, so when the agents busted in, Billy threw the pipe and drugs into the toilet, but George was still able to fish it out of the pipe. After fi- yeah, pipe. finding opium resin in the pipe, George arrested Billy Holiday. Now, the jazz club owner hired a high-end defense attorney who accused George of setting up Holiday using her husband to help. Mm-hmm. The husband, at this point now, had fled to the East Coast before the trial. And Holiday testified that her husband stole her money and abused her. Uh, this was much easier to believe because right before he left, he punched her and gave her a black eye. Jesus. So the jury ends up acquitting Billy Holiday. And George told reporters, quote, I was one of the best narcotic agents in the business. This was one of the few cases I lost. I told Elric that he was a conniving shyster lawyer of the first order, and he laughed. He thought it was a compliment. So he now, he, and he, he's, his motivation for doing something like that is because it's going to be a big case? I think so, yeah. Headlines? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Crazy. In 1952, the OSS, which has now become the CIA, asked George uh-huh. to come back. They wanted someone who had experience with drugs, because they were experimenting with LSD and they needed someone like George to help field test it. Mm-hmm. Now this is when you can call me at this, like I'm like I'm a guy who can do this job. Yeah, but it, the, again, though it's CIA, it's CIA drugs. That's different. Yeah. CIA, CIA calling you in for drug tests. You're like, does this end with me like in a robot suit, like killing people in a battleground? Okay, now I'm in again. Now I'm, I'm in two now uh, after I hear that. That sounds pretty good. <laughs> now, Abby Hoffman invented LSD while I was working for Sandoz Laboratories. And yeah, we covered this, Dave. Yeah, he first dosed himself in 1943, and then the fun began. So the CIA hears about LSD in 1950, and higher ups started getting concerned of how little it took to create such insane effects on someone's mental state. Uh huh. So they were like, how do we turn it into a weapon? That's right. So they were thinking if micrograms could give people whose nations, what would buckets of it do in a town's water supply? Or what if you gave it to a politician before a major speech? Those kind of things. Uh, what a great speech that would be. Oh. It would be the best speech. That's oh. what I mean. Truly, if there's ever a time to put the LSD in the water of Congress and the Senate in D.C., where they could actually be like, you know, I just realized that I think the herd of people is bad for the cosmic fabric of society and that we're all kind of like a galactic stew that's just stirred together. We're not independents. We're all one. And, and I almost wonder if the stuff we're doing is karmically negative and that it'll come back to affect us but even if it doesn't this could all just be a simulation i'm sorry what the fuck just happened we need i'm sorry yeah good times woo woo yeah ah i need money i don't know what the hell just happened to me i need a bunch of money that was close yeah so the next year the cia heard that the russians had bought 50 million doses of lsd from sandoz 
And this worried the CIA, who are concerned that the Russians are up to, you know, mind control stuff. Right. Then Sandoz puts out word that they had 10 kilograms for sale, which is about 50 million doses. Mm -hmm. So to keep it from the Russians and to get their own thing going, the CIA and Pentagon together bought the LSD for $240,000. Wow. So there was a point in the history of the world where the CIA and Pentagon together bought up all of the available LSD on the market. It's the worst. The worst the worst people to have it. Yeah. The Grateful Dead made a competitive offer, but it wasn't heard. <laughs> so they would stop buying from Sandoz when Eli Lilly figured Eli Lilly figured a way to make LSD. So the CIA officially sanctioned the MK Ultra program in 1953 to turn unsuspecting people into guinea pigs for its research into mind-altering drugs. Right. Yes. The CIA hoped that MKUltra could create a Manchurian candidate or a programmable assassin and also control enemies like Fidel Castro. So they had giant hopes that, you know, right. they could turn people like Fidel Castro into what they wanted uh, or just yeah. create assassins or, yeah. Yeah, and their heart's in the right place. That's what That's matters. right. That's right. Yeah. So there's a lot more to it, the MK Ultra. There's a lot more to it than drugs. They also had sub projects. They used radiological implants, hypnosis, subliminal persuasion, electro electroshock therapy, and isolation techniques. So MK Ultra was basically a continuation of work that had started in Japanese and Nazi concentration camps, uh, roughly based on the experiments that they had done, and the CIA hired those Japanese and Nazi vivisectionists and the torturers who had worked in Japan and Nazi concentration camps to come and explain what they had found out so the U.S. could continue to build on their research. Dave, they're taking our jobs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is definitely a job. Uh, come yeah, on. You got it. You get it. You get it. Yeah. While all that's going on, but George is doing his thing, and George is basically just the drugs. That's all he's doing. The testing started in-house with CIA agents giving it to each other and taking notes. What a weird... Okay. So it's like tag. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. just so weird. Uh, right. they, they started dosing each other secretly, trying to catch people off guard and see how they reacted. What kind of little trip prank war do they have going on at the CIA? I also love that, like, is this a time at the CIA office where you could uh, just dose a guy's coffee in the morning and then that guy's just gone for the rest of the day and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm running an experiment on Jim. He's just in a field, like, petting a sunflower, like, exactly, exactly. <laughs> that's exactly right. And that's what I can't communicate to them. It's just so fucking weird. Yeah. So sometimes this created issues, like one time an agent escaped his minders and disappeared in Washington, D.C. So they had to go searching for him, and they found him an hour and a half later, but the agent said he, he had found himself in a hellscape where every passing car was a terrible monster staring at him with evil eyes. That's, that's oh, just D.C. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say, that's the city. That's not the drug, that's the city. Need a tree. Uh, so, so the CIA then funded LSD research at universities 
all universities all over the country. This is how people like Timothy Leary got it, as we heard in your episode. Yeah. They either were tapped or signed up to experiment with it. Leary credited the CIA with starting the LSD movement in the 60s. So the CIA's head, what? Well, that, I would just say that that's probably like later when everyone was like, you fucking did this. He's like, I think the CIA was pretty responsible. <laughs> so CIA's head of uh, its chemical division, Sidney Gottlieb. I'm the CEO of TRIPS. Uh, he supervised LSD research and George was one of the first people Gottlieb wanted to bring on the project. He had read George's truth serum reports for the OSS and he liked how George did everything for the experiment, including trying the drugs himself. I like that. I like that too. So this is going to work great. You like to trip. I like to trip. Let's do some CIA. Great. But in reality, George was actually an alcoholic. who just liked getting high and tripping. Hey, no shame in that game either, Dave. Come on. We all got to go somehow. So now George's experiments on Augie gave Gottlieb an idea. His first task was to try LSD, which he did a few times. George used it on himself or people he interrogated. And then he started dosing his friends without their knowledge. Okay. and Great. Good friend. What we call an Ari Shafir. Right. So one of his first LSD related journal entries noted that he tried LSD with quote Gil and Pat, Joe and Nye, and they showed delayed reactions turned into a circus that night. Did they know they were getting dosed? No idea. He just dosed his friends. Good Lord. LSD journals are like, not a lot of details. No, it's like if you're trying to take like that's what that's what I was in the Albert Hoffman. That's what he did. He like he was like five fifteen, feeling tingly, five seventeen. Want to go outside? And that was the end. It was like okay, that'll do. (laughs) He was gone. He like burned the journal. They don't need words. Gil and Pat Fox were a couple that George and his wife Teen had a sexual relationship. Uh, They were all swingers. Sorry, George and his wife Teen. I think her actual name is Augustine. Anyway, teen is short. Okay. Well, it's time to, it's hard to get like that discrepancy. Like I'm married to teen. That's disgusting. (laughs) Um, So they're swingers with Gil and and Pat. They all fuck each other. Sure. So George dosed them without their knowledge and Gil called the next day trying to find out what happened, but still everyone just moved on from the incident and they, Stayed friends. And Can you imagine? Did they know? Did he say what happened? I don't think he did. No. Can you imagine like tripping your balls off and being like, really? Nothing? <laughs> All right. What, what's up Tuesday? Want a barbecue still? <laughs> it's really crazy. You're like, I was drugged. A few weeks later, George dosed three of Teen's friends without telling them. One freaked out after she came home and couldn't sleep. Another woman, 19-year-old, ended up in a psych ward five years later. Now, Oh, my God. Could be connected, could not be, because most people, when they have mental uh, illness issues, a lot of the times it comes on in your mid-20s. So that might not have been. So after George was familiar with the drug, Gottlieb had him set up a testing site, which was just a brothel. Uh Uh-huh. That's better than we're doing with Corona, though. That's true. 
Yeah. Gottlieb believed criminals were needed as test subjects because he thought they'd never go to the cops. So exploiting wow. the customers of sex workers made sense. Jesus Christ. I mean, just like, yeah, I mean, that's like, that's a quite a roller coaster of entrapment. You, that was illegal what you did over there. God damn it. What's the, what am I going to do now? We're going to make you uh, trip your balls off on acid. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. That was illegal fucking. What are you going to do to me? Make you party. So George set up the first test site in a, a Greenwich Village apartment in New York City. So he rigs the room with microphones and cameras, and then he puts in a two-way mirror, and he hires a French drug smuggler named Pierre Lafitte to be his assistant. It's French for defeat. That's right. I mean, really, he was just a pimp. Lafitte had uh, been working with the feds for years as a way to stay in the States with his family, He'd gotten busted for drugs, but gave the feds lots of information about suppliers. So the sure. feds offered him a job. Sure. So the LSD operation uh, went as planned uh, for a year. Lafitte would find sex workers who would lure Johns to the apartment where they were given LSD and tr- tried to get them talking. Man, wow. Wow. It was called Operation Midnight Climax. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> At least call it nocturnal emissions. <laughs> Midnight climax. Church recorded everything, but nothing was helpful. They they try to entice local politicians and government employees, but they'd also be happy if they just got a junkie to give LSD to. So weird. And it's not just George. Columbia University was doing experiments, Mount Sinai Hospital. And there's no rules. One researcher kept seven junkies who had been lured by the promise of heroin. They kept them on LSD for 77 straight days. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That is like, it's like George Clinton numbers. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's fucking insane. That's crazy. Especially, I mean, it is, that is total torture because, yeah, it's, I mean, that is, you are completely without your mind for that long. That's just, that's awful. And I don't know if you ever come back from it. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. I mean, no, they say when I, I mean, they, they, the thing I, I mean, I'm sure this is not at all technically true, but they, when I, they said that seven times you take like LSD like seven times. And that's like when your brain chemistry is different forever or something like that. So you are, you are changed. I mean, that wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. And you, of course you change. I mean, the way you view shit changes. <laughs> yeah. No one ever followed up with the, those guys after the 77 days were over. They just did it for 77 days and then released them into the wild. Like, all right, have fun guys. But they were right. They were right. That these they were right. These people were so, yeah, legally fearful that they were just like, okay, yeah. I mean, they're, they're junkies, so they you know they disappear by nature. And also, if you like, it, that is like you're putting people through heroin withdrawal or yeah. something while you're putting them on acid. <laughs> yeah, it's not great. Like, what a combo! Horrible. So they. 
also experimented on Dr. Frank Olson. Olson was a specialist in airborne diseases who worked for the Army's Special Operations Division, the SOD, which is a lot like the CIA. Olson researched whether biological agents could be deployed through ventilation systems, and he developed a lot of harmful chemicals that the military could use. Awesome. <laughs> so the CIA and the SOD worked together, and they even held retreats together. Gottlieb hosted a retreat in November 1953 at Deep Creek Lodge in Maryland. And on the second night, Can you... he served mixed drinks. Wait, what? On the second night, he served mixed drinks laced with LSD. Yeah, I was just going to say, how can you do like trust falls when <laughs> everyone doses everyone? How can you have like a team building weekend where you're like, uh, I don't, I mean, yeah, they're going to, they're just going to Jonestown you. I mean, it's absolutely insane. Uh, Jimmy, you want to say something that's true about Gladys? She's got like an elephant eye. Good. Good. Okay, good. All right. Well, this, hold on. This is going, hold on. Yep. The ground just uh -huh. split open and underneath I saw a, a fire area with creatures mm-hmm okay all right well that thank that now it's time to pass the shell to someone else who's going to share because you've overshared so we're going to pass the shell maybe to the left hold on just one last thing yeah well the, you've taken up we said we wouldn't we said we'd do one, one thing i swear with to god the shell, and I, then swear to, I swear okay. to god i swear to god that's sure 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 that's called a tree. Yeah. The shell to the left would be great. Like, why? Also, how can you, how can you, how can you name nature? Fair, 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 fair point. Fair point. Absolutely. That, well, to summarize, great stuff. Pass it to the left. Would why? You, that would be why, great. Conch? Okay. Well, the conch is. We'll get another conch once. Uh, Set free. We'll get eyes on that other conch. Set free. Yeah. No. No, it's in the river basin. So we'll just uh, get someone out there in a minute. Let's remember, guys, if you have the conch, let's not hold on to it too long. Let's pass it. Let's definitely pass it, okay? I think he's right about trees, though. You're the same guy, so I don't need you to piggyback on what you said. That I'm never the same guy. Every moment, I'm a different guy. All right. So We're are good. you. We are good. So We're are good. You. We are. So are you. Okay. There'll be, no more, there'll be no more pointing. There'll be no more talking. He gives these people LSD. The majority have a good time. They laugh their asses off, except for Frank Olson. Uh, he has a hard time. And he becomes convinced everyone is making fun of him. He's very angry. Ugh. He's very paranoid. The next day, the retreat's over. Uh, they all thought that doing the drugs had derailed their work. Everyone goes home. Frank Olson doesn't get better. He stays agitated. His wife said he's not the same. He tells her he wants to leave his job. And on Monday, he tried to quit, but his bosses wouldn't let him. So he goes to a psychiatrist, one that is also working on LSD experiments with the CIA. 
Good. So you can get an outsider's point of view. Good. Okay. Yeah. Great. Uh, so for some reason, that psychiatrist didn't help him. Uh, he has a nervous breakdown and ends up in a facility in Rockville, Maryland. And it looks like he's getting better. But on November 28th at 2.30 a.m., a witness says that Frank runs down the hall and jumps out the 13th floor window. And he dies uh. instantly when he hits the ground. It was nine days after being dosed. Wow. Good golly. Yeah. There's obviously debate about whether or not he committed suicide. His family believes he was what? His family believes he was killed by the CIA. Oh shit. Well, that actually does make sense. That's crazy. Either way, the death ends the program. The media or FBI could connect the dots back to George and his crew, which would have been disastrous. Everyone would face serious repercussions. So um, CA director Alan Dulles agreed with Gottlieb that the research should continue. Okay. Okay. So George, George is now sent to Houston. Jesus. Uh, the head of the F, the head of the FBN learned that heroin confiscated by police was making its way onto the streets again. So he sends George and a couple other agents to learn about it, figure out what's going on. Uh, George ends up interrogating Martin Bill, Bilnzer, who is an HPD vice detective. And in the first interview, Martin's off. There's something wrong. Some, something's you know, not passing the smell test. Mm. And during the second interview... Martin admits more heroin had been found than was entered into evidence. Some was put in the desks of the assistant police chief and senior detectives, and the rest of it was sold by cops. Now, did he take a drink from them? <laughs> no, I don't think he did. No, just straight up talking. Okay. So witnesses said the next day, Martin went into his office and shut the door, and these are cop witnesses. The two gunshots were then heard. And Martin was dead. Oh, no. Shot in the heart twice. Oh, my God. Can you? This idea of a second shot. <laughs> what, what, a, what a moment. Because you only think about the first. What a moment to do a second. To have to have the wherewithal to be like, oh, one. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. In the chest, too. In the chest is a crazy, always a crazy place to do it. Yeah. It was ruled a suicide. Mm -hmm. George didn't believe it was a suicide and he made his what, on what grounds? <laughs> Probably the two, the two bullets in his he, heart. Yeah. He makes his opinions public, which l l leads to a showdown between George and the HPD. So a federal agent accusing the HPD of killing one of its own to cover up a drug ring sort of made the police chief and other Houston officials mad. Well, what, I mean, what is the debate like when you do that? When you the second shot is where you're going like, they'll know. <laughs> like, do you need it wrapped up that badly? It's not. Yeah. So articles appeared in the Houston Chronicle. And then he found a sword through his stomach, too, sir. And he let himself on fire at the end. Yeah, that's right. His last words were, I mean this. I wasn't there for those. That's just what the... No more questions. Thank you. In the newspaper article, the police chief said George was a hatchet man who bullied Martin into killing himself. George found 
out the Houston city attorney had sent letters to his boss and Jade, Jade Hoover and other high higher ups asking them, asking them to take George off the case. They didn't. Also, Houston detectives went to Washington, D.C. to try to dig up dirt on George, specifically trying to find any ties he had to communists. Uh-huh, sure. Well, we all know that was the... Uh, that's when red flags were actually red flags. <laughs> so, George later had officers tailing him, and one local customs agent challenged George to a duel. What? Is that... <laughs> That's what a throwback. Who is this guy? Did he have a monocle? What? The best. Yeah. I mean, it's just, let me guess. Know. He hunted quail. <laughs> so crazy. He had, he had what's known as a quaff. He used ink with a feather. That's right. This man is not of this era. This is a shape-shifting time traveler. <laughs> so George doesn't accept the duel. The duel doesn't happen. On what grounds do you not accept my challenge for a jewel? Why, it's as regular as anything else. It's not. Yes, it is. It's as regular as putting goat testicles into a man's stomach. All right, I got to go. For virility? I am leaving. It's as regular as being lobotomized on a stage. It is a normal thing. Sir, I challenge ye to a jewel. A what? A jewel. A jewel? Adiola. I challenge you to Adiola. I'm not doing it. Obviously, you're on LSD. I challenge you to a jewel. My tongue is so hot. <laughs> so George continues with this investigation. He has more agents brought to Houston, and they confirm that Martin could not have killed himself. Quote, he would be the first person to kill himself twice. The, F, uh, the CIA learned a valuable yeah, lesson. Okay. Then. Got it. So just one time with the shooting. Uh, no, from then on. Oh, Oswald. right. George's investigation revealed the Houston chief of police was addicted to painkillers, which he'd gotten from a crooked doctor. So the police chief resigns. Doctor goes to prison. Two detectives who sold the heroin were fired and charged. One went to prison and died after years of addiction. The other was acquitted, but then killed himself in the court parking lot. I won. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, how many shots to the head? <laughs> Four. In 1955, George went back to San Francisco and he rented an apartment on Telegraph Hill with a view of the bay and turned it into a new safe house. It's supposed to look like a rich person's apartment, so he put in recording equipment, fancy furniture, and Toulouse Lactre posters of women canton dancing. There we go. You're talking about the ultimate bachelor pad. In the main bedroom, he set up a bathroom where he could sit for hours through a two-way mirror and watch sex workers having sex while he drank pitchers of martini. Now, Dave, as far as the work goes, are we now, have we now crossed through the threshold of where work has become sliver? It's still the job. It's still the job? 
He's not abusing his job. He is doing his job. He's completely like drunk with power and pitchers of martini. Yeah, this is what he gets to do. You get to. Yeah, so he's abusing his power to just sit in a. He's room not abusing his power. And through a two way mirror, get. Dr- this is what well, he's. Well, but he's like. This is what he's supposed to be doing. I mean, he's abusing the oh the the sex workers and the Johns. The pad. Yes, yes. Yes, and the idea that he's just getting drunk behind a two-way mirror is just not a good look for any angle. I always wonder how many construction workers are brought in and and someone's like, can I get a two-way mirror put in here? <laughs> like, it must happen all the time. Oh, God, how do you ask that? You've got to be like, I work for the CIA, <laughs> and uh, what I need is a two-way mirror for the bathroom because I'm doing a lot of work, but I can't tell you about it. It's not because I want to watch my wife's friends poop. Uh, George found himself a new pimp, Ike Feldman, who recruited heroin-addicted workers who would lure other drug addicts to the apartment, and then George would arrest them. Okay. So George and other agents also partied to the safe house themselves, taking the drugs that they had. Uh, what is happening? <laughs> is who is it? What is happening? What's the plan? Is there a plan at all? And they had sex with the sex workers. So who is, what is going on? They're like, create the crime. It's a job creator. You're the Johns. Then you watch the, you guys fucking, then arrest each other, drug each other, arrest each other. It's perfect. He also hung out at dive bars to find informants using the alias Morgan Hill. He said Hill was an artist and a merchant seaman. This is the classic combo. Uh, and George based him on Jack yeah. London. Oh, great. Oh, I'm sure Jack London was touched. By the way, I want to, it's an honor to meet you, sir. I based my super creepy uh, bring people back to my two-way mirror den while I drink martinis character on you. Talk about a call of the wild. You want to watch people fuck? Hey, you guys uh, interested in you? Why don't we do this? Why don't we all go back to my place and we'll watch people bang? I have martinis. So George would protect the sex, sex workers from the local police. He gave all the escorts a get-out-of-jail chit that they used when the cops would pick him up. He also paid them uh, $50 to $100 a John. And when the operations really got going, George told Feldman they were going to dose the junkies with LSD. Wait, say that last part again? George told Feldman they were going to dose the junkies with LSD. So the, the Who's Feldman again? Feldman's the pimp that he's working with. Oh, okay, right. Okay, okay, and okay, so... And so the sex workers are bringing in drug addicts. Now they're going to give the drug addicts LSD because... It's quite, it's quite a little job creator. Well, Feldman asked why. He's like, why are we doing this? And George said, quote, have you ever heard of the Manchurian candidate? What an answer! <laughs> what kind... Oh, oh, good. Oh, okay, so we're working towards a goal. Okay, <laughs> just wanted to know where we were headed. Awesome. Okay, then I'm in. Let's do this, for sure. You're talking about the Sinatra flick? That's right, I'm the Manchurian candidate. I'll do whatever you want me to. It's not my fate, Manchurian candidate. Hey, the court's in session. This isn't a court. Hey, get out of here, Dolphins. I can't, I can't believe he never sang a Manchurian Candidate song. Yeah. God. 
So the CIA is really genuinely afraid of Russia's brainwashing techniques. They heard about, you know, in previous wars. Uh, and George, isn't it amazing how our uh, it's always our gross overreaction yeah. to the fear of what other countries are going to do, so that we just make it all worse, particularly Russia. Yeah, I mean, Russia's been like our like founding member for quite a while. So George convinced Feldman that what they were doing was for the good of the country. Look, man, here. Your country needs you to sit behind a two-way mirror drinking martinis, watching addicted sex workers fuck junkies, and then giving them LSD. Well, I always said when my country came calling, I'd answer. It would be an honor, sir. And you are rock hard. Yes, I am. I am excited by the plan, and I was getting my dick sucked before you walked in here. So... So George and other agents dosed their subjects whenever possible, but much of what they want to know is what the sex workers could learn. So that's it. They're, they're only getting the information that the sex, sex workers could get out of these guys they're giving LSD to. Oh, right. Okay, right, right. So it's like, yeah, exactly. So it's a very, I mean, again, it would, the, the, whole, the point here is not to really uncover anything, right? I mean, it's just at this point to watch more of what it does to people. <laughs> And kind of be perv out. Obviously. I think so, but they're also trying to they're also trying to f- see if they can just learn secrets. You know, if people will reveal stuff, right? Which they but they've they've established that they've established that. So psycho- psychologist John Gittinger conducted the sex research with George and Feldman, and Gittinger would later be called the genius of MK Ultra. He used his the safe house to learn the sex workers' trade. He watched them have sex for hours. And had them make models of sex acts what? using pipe cleaners. <laughs> what sex? And what is what with pipe cleaners? Can you show me? What is he a preschool can teacher? You take these uh, two little white fuzzy things and show me anal. No. Uh, okay. Can you uh, take these two little pipe cleaners and show me sixty nine? Yes. Can you take these t- three little pipe cleaners and show me a Cleveland steamer? <sighs> yes. Can you take these four pipe cleaners? Can I? This avocado uh-huh. and this belt and show me a dirty okay. Sanchez. Uh, you're from the CIA? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I am. Yeah. Sorry. Yes. Okay. Yeah. 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 I just. This is pretty hot. I gotta go feed the meter. Okay. Yeah. Good. Okay. Yeah. Good talk. So. Cool pipe cleaners, though. Yeah. Great Thank talk. You. Good to good to work. What a good system. Gittinger basically took all this information and he compiled it into what was basically like a, a Kama Sutra for the CIA. So it's like this big CIA. F- oh my god. Fuck manual. So. Gittinger's research was the beginning of the male performance drug industry. During one what? (laughs) During one experiment, some Russian sailors weren't into sex workers, so an agent slipped them a drug called Sex Tender. Sex Tender not only got them in the mood, it increased their sexual stamina significantly. Significantly, and after two hours, the sex workers were protesting and asking to leave. Oh, God, there's nothing good in what you just said. <laughs> First 
of all, the amount of research you have to do to find out if dudes are fucking longer because of what you gave them is it's a it's a deep deep dive. Oh yeah. As time went, as time went on, the SF pad and uh, a new one that George had opened in Mill Valley became the place with the CIA. So we need a little more area to fuck. <laughs> but in like a it's, in like a nicer area, like is there like a sleepy little valley town? For yeah. the research. For the, for the research. research. For, for the I, research. We were thinking Aspen. Yeah. For the research. For Aspen the research. Would be great. And also can for the can research. I get hard in Aspen? Like that's also a question. Yeah. Let's find out. We'll all go there and see if our, if our penises will get hard. It'll be great. Yeah, this is, look, what is more important to the country right now than our dicks getting hard in Colorado? Uh, you're approved. <sighs> Whew, that was harder than ever before. I get it. It's a double meaning. I get it. Oh. Uh, I hadn't even mm, thought of that. I did. Hey, mm. can you put on these shorts? Yep. While you're wearing them? <laughs> So, so this these two places were where the CIA sent drugs that they didn't want to test on themselves, and then Gottlieb would come over with new devices and chemicals to try out. Many of them were referred to as harassment substances, and they included stink bombs, itching powders, and high-powered laxative. So this is like from the CIA's prank wing, and this guy <laughs> is basically like the pervy Q. That's right, James Bond. We've got something amazing. This will make any dignitary shit his pants. Oh, my God, we've won the Cold War. Also, imagine this. You're having dinner with some state officials and ambassadors. When the next thing you know, the royal king of Sweden has a case of the itches. Oh, I love it. Pretty good, eh? Mmm, wonderful work. Wonderful stuff you're doing. Yes. Also, I'm working on something that will turn a bathtub into gelatin. So, please <laughs> stick around. Also, saran wrap for a toilet seat and toilet paper that's just one lump and doesn't do individual sheets. <laughs> oh, uh, yes. wow. Also, I'm working on a drug that will keep men's erections so sustainably long and their sexual uh. Uh, propriety to be larger than it's ever been, that it'll last and it will cause some sort of sexual revolution while we all watch it from a two-way mirror as people are using the toilet. Okay. They give us a lot of money. <laughs> they really have carved out quite a nice chunk of the pie for our division. Yes. Sure also, on. let me walk you to the division of funny teeth. We, these guys, are working on some real banging stuff. Okay. Yes. This was a great talk. Oh, I, don't leave without a fake nose. <laughs> Leaving through that door, are you? I think you'll find that's nothing more than a doorknob glued on a wall. I'll take you the right way. Got you. Why don't you pick up that nickel before you leave? Wouldn't that be droll? It's nailed to the floor. No, look, a dollar bill. It's on string. Don't even try. How much are you getting in funding? We get $90 billion. <laughs> George would try out everything on himself. One device was a pen that spurted gas. Now, remember what I just said. He tried out everything on himself. So he tried out the powered laxatives. He tried out the itching powder. He stink bombed himself. He did it all. 
Oh, man. He's like the Johnny Knoxville of our government. <laughs> so one device was a pen that would squirt gas. George tried to convince Feldman to take it, but he wouldn't do it. So he allowed himself to be blasted in the face with it. And the noxious chemical made his face turn red and he coughed uncontrollably. It turned out to be a prototype for mace. Wow. Mace pens even sounds crazy, but for the first macing to come from a pen. What kind of ink is that? What sort of ink? <laughs> Sir! Decades later, the burglars who broke into the Watergate Hotel had three of those pens. Wow. Good lord. So, you gotta be careful with those. Yeah, seriously. Hey, do you have a pen? I gotta write something down. Absolutely. Oh no, not that one! Not that one! Ah! 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 Do you have a milk pen? <laughs> Former U.S. Marshal and Marine Wayne Ritchie was a model citizen. He worked at the post office during a Christmas party on December 20th, 1957. Ritchie had a few drinks, about four or five bourbons and sodas uh, over a couple of hours. When he left, he became overwhelmed with paranoia and worthlessness. He went home. He had a very bad fight with his girlfriend. And then he went to another bar and he drank more. And then he went to his office and he got two guns and he robbed a bar. He held up the cashier, but he was distracted by a waitress. And then the cashier knocked Wayne Ritchie out. Shot him with a mace pen. Police came and arrested him and charged him with attempted robbery, and he got five years probation, a $500 fine, and he lost his job. He moved on with his life. He worked as a house painter for the next 34 years, and he married again, but he always wondered what had happened that night. By the way, best thing that could have happened to him. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the obvious. Yeah. Now, George ran the safe houses in San Francisco and Mill Valley until 1961 when he was reassigned. He retired in 1963 after being diagnosed with cirrhosis of the liver, and then he moved to Stinson Beach in Marin. What a time to retire, if yeah. you're him. Like, you're like, well, you know what? We've seen all the drug stuff we can really do. What year is it? 1963? I don't see this going in any direction. <laughs> <laughs> this will be fine. Uh, that year, the Inspector General's office wrote a report about the MK Ultra program. It declared that many in the agency found the program's concepts to be distasteful and unethical. Name 1,000! <laughs> Yet there were major accomplishments in both research and operational employment. Absolutely. The report... This was a job creator. That's right. It's like a genital coal. <laughs> The report recommended taking more control over the program. The agency shut down MKUltra in 1965. In 1973, Watergate caused a panic in the CIA. Worried about potential discovery of the MKUltra experiment, CIA director Richard Helms had all the files destroyed. Mm -hmm. The following year, Seymour Hirsch reported to the, for the New York Times that the CIA engaged in domestic espionage and conducted experiments on civilians. This led to the Church Senate Committee hearings in the summer of 1975. The 
The committee looked into various federal scandals, including the FBI's harassment of Martin Luther King Jr., various assassination plots, and of course, MK Ultra. Both Gottlieb and Feldman were witnesses. The committee obtained the Inspector General's report and George's journal. Everything came to light from the illegal dosing to the use of sex workers. The hearings revealed the scope of MK Ultra. The CIA hunted for drugs that increased perception, made, made aging faster or slower, caused a certain amount of amnesia and other terrible uses. Now, this whole time, George is living in Stinson Beach. Can you imagine a time when, like, there would be hearings on TV and you would actually hear shit like this? Like, you would be yeah. like, what? Our government, like, when you would actually, like, there would be information that was actually doled out through, like, you would learn stuff and there would be, like, an actual, someone who would be like, that's true. And you'd be like, oh, my God, it's true. Instead of just, like, never... Nobody ever admitting anything and everybody just being like, I will shout at you with my time. Yeah. And, you know, this is a time when tons of Democrats wanted to get rid of the CIA hmm. instead of in love with them. Uh, I'm so, not having Dave Javu right now for some reason. <laughs> so basically, George was just like a, a dude who went to local bars and that's what he was was doing. Uh, he died on October 23rd, 1975. Now, the hearings led to suits against the government by some of MK Ultra's victims. Frank Olson's family sued the government and they settled with Olson's wife and she got 750,000. Hmm. Other people didn't. Other people tried and they just said no. 750,000 so, is also, I mean even that I mean it's just so like it, the idea of putting a price tag on that sort of stuff is always so morbid. Yeah, it's weird. In 1999, Wayne Ritchie read Gottlieb's obituary, which discussed MKUltra and mentioned George, and Ritchie knew George. One of the last times he had seen him was at the Christmas party, just before he robbed the store or the bar. Well, 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 well. Huh. And he was with Feldman. Oh, so. oh okay. Well... What were they doing, hanging out under the mistletoe? So Richie put two and two together and sued the government. He was 72 years old. When his lawyer uh, deposed Feldman, he said Richie had been drugged and given, quote, a full head and deserved to suffer. And still, with all that information, the judge ruled against Richie, saying his momentary insanity was organic because he drank. This judge, wow, wow. I mean... Okay, so there's nothing to be said that sways someone. I mean, as far as Feldman's admission, the judge said it wasn't direct enough and couldn't be taken seriously. Well, he's under this sheet right here, Your Honor. It literally is what we did. I still see no reason to go further. We think that this is the result of what we've already said. The court stands. Uh, the Ninth Circuit uh, Court of Appeals upheld her decision in 2006. Good. So in the end, the military found a mix of drugs that worked as a truth serum for interrogations. In the El Salvadorian Civil War, in the early 80s, agents captured enemy fighters and used a mix of sodium pentothal and rohypnol. This combo loosened tongues and made them forget everything. They would take an enemy soldier, drug him or her, take them to be interrogated, ask them questions while pretending to be like Russian soldiers or whatever, 
Jesus Christ. And then, and then they drug him or her again. And, and when it was over, dropped them off back where they had been captured. And then Dude, I mean, the, what had happened? Devious, devious fuckers. And it's like people fear alien abduction. <laughs> I would much, yeah. I would fear much more government abduction. Oh my God. Put anything in my ass on your spaceship. Just don't let me go in the back of a fucking minivan in the middle of nowhere with unsuited military people. Yeah, it's why when people get scared of the government and people are like, you're a conspiracy theorist, and you're like, have you ever read the history of America? It's really well, not great. I also don't understand how people, you're like, yeah, why would I trust the people, why would I distrust the people with all the power? Why, why what about that? Yeah, I believe them. Uh, Kevin Jones was the researcher on this. Uh, sources used include Gary Camilla's reporting in the uh, SF Chronicle. Main source was a book, Danner, Drugs, and Dirty Work, the George Hunter uh, story by Stan Wojcikowski. And then a lot of government do- documents that are online. So, Man. Yeah, see, I mean, I read a little bit about it through just the Leary stuff, but, um, you and know, and just the, a and slice the, of, oh, yeah, just a slice of MK Ultra. MK Ultra is fucking bananas. I just, I never wanted to do it because it, it's so, it's so big and it's so yeah. fucking crazy. Yeah. It's literally like you could, you could do a podcast on it. Yeah, right. Like that would be your whole podcast forever, you know? Yeah, I, I mean it, and it it really is amazing that it's the government who wanted it for themselves, and then it got into the hands of doctors, and then it got into the hands of regular people, and it changed the culture, and then they had to try to put that genie back in the bottle, and then mm-hmm. you get arrested for it. I mean, it's just it's yeah. so it's so crazy. It's just so crazy. I mean, it's just so well, crazy. I, I, lo- I love that the CIA is behind LSD and uh, crack cocaine and like flying plane loads of cocaine into America. Like the CIA yeah. is just like yeah. fucking insane. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like get, Scarface got a badge. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking nuts. It's nuts. Uh, yeah, I mean... And and you almost envy the days when bitching about the CIA was the only thing you had. To, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like yeah. the level of every government agency now where you have to be like, well, that's not good either. Like, there's no, <laughs> there's nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, we should just, it's, we should just pull, we should just divest. Just be like, we're done with the senator. You just, I mean, it's just like, uh, anyway, at least things are in a good spot. Yeah, everything's good right now. You know what'll be fun? This is what'll be fun. For someone to listen to this podcast when you and I are dead, that, uh, that'll be fun. <laughs> that'll be, that's when this podcast will be like, wow. <laughs> you know, living through the time, talking about the old time. Right now, it's just a goddamn misery fuck. Yeah. You tired, buddy? Tired, though. Tired. Yeah. I don't know why I'm so. I don't know why I'm so tired. What's the matter? Want a little? Uh, want a little uh, 
CIA juice? No. Yeah, I want a little, a little bump. Sip. I need a CIA, CIA bump. Want a little bump? Keep you up for a few hours? Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Well, fine, there man. There we go. Fine. Hey there, people listening to The Dollop. Uh, this is Gareth. Yes, the same guy. I Listen, I have a new podcast called We're Here to Help that I'm doing with my friend Jake Johnson. It's basically a call and advice show where we don't say that we're professionals because we aren't, but we try to help people with problems that are important to them. You can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts, and it is out right now. So go listen to We're Here to Help with Jake and Gareth. We're here to help with Gareth and Jake. I don't remember how we did it, but either way, fun. Half Hour comes out Tuesday, August 22nd, and the episodes will be out every Tuesday and Friday. We're here to help. Oh, hey there, everybody. It's Gareth, you know, from this uh, this podcast. Uh, listen, I've got some stand-up shows. I'm inviting the Garmy, the Gareth Army, to join me for. I will be in Fort Collins, Colorado, August 18th and August 19th. I will be in Minneapolis, Minnesota, August 24th through August 26th at Acme. I will be going to the UK in September. Please join me. I will be in Glasgow, September 13th, London, September 15th, Dublin, September 17th, and September 19th, Manchester, Birmingham, September 20th, Bristol, September 22nd, and Cardiff, September 24th. And then in November, I'll be in Australia. November 10th, almost sold out, I think. I'll be in Melbourne, Australia. Then I will be in Northbridge, Australia on November 15th. Adelaide, November 16th. Canberra, November 17th. Brisbane, November 18th. And then I will be in uh, Sydney on November 24th. Go to GarethReynolds.com for tickets. Garmy, let's get at it after it. Let's see you there.